Welcome back, podcast friends and family. Today, I'm bringing you Megan Lewis. Megan has over 15 years experience in estate planning, trust, probate, business, and tax law. She passionately preserves family legacies, both assets and relationships. Prior to opening her own firm, she practiced at the Washington State Attorney General's office and a couple great firms of different sizes for about 10 years. She is based in Spokane, Washington, and grew up in areas of Washington and Alaska, also lived around Washington, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. She received a BS from the University of Oregon, studying journalism, public relations, economics, and Spanish. She worked in D.C. for a few years after college before attending Gonzaga University School of Law in Spokane. After law school, she earned a master's of law in taxation from the University of Washington in Seattle. Her personal passions, which are just as amazing, include sailing, flying. She even earned her pilot license in high school, skydiving, over a thousand skydives so far, photography, travel, great food, and spending time adventuring with her husband and two energetic young children. Megan really breaks down in this episode what we need to know about protecting our greatest asset, which is our health. How do we protect our choices and our wishes and do it in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming? I think you're really going to like this breakdown and Megan's amazing story. Here we go with Megan. All right. I am so thrilled to bring on my friend, Megan Lewis. We actually connected back in Bellingham, Washington, when I lived there, which now seems like eons ago, but really wasn't that long ago. And she is um, married to uh, one of my husband's previous colleagues and partners. So that's how we met. And we've sort of stayed connected through through the interwebs, through the magic of social media. And I have sort of followed her journey. She has some really exciting personal adventures, and she also does amazing professional work that is very much relevant to the topics that we have here and one that we haven't covered. So I'm excited to dive in. Thanks for being here, Megan. Yeah, I'm excited to join you. Yeah. So great to have you here. So as I start off all my podcast episodes, I would love to know what does true wellness mean to you? Well, I think for me in this moment, true wellness is really paying attention to not only what's going on around me and my world, but focusing on self-care and self-awareness. So for me, that's not just trying to um, eat healthy and exercise and those kinds of things, but really as we're making big life changes and big plans and thinking about what um, objectives I can set for myself, really keeping in mind of what I can do while maintaining my mental health and physical health and placing a priority on those so that I don't get so overwhelmed with all my different goals and projects and um, people pleasing that I lose track of myself in the, in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. I think that will for sure resonate with many people listening. And um, as many are probably around our age group and maybe going through similar life transitions, although you have some very 
much more adventurous life transitions than I have uh, undertaken. So I'm excited to dive in next to, you know, your background, what got you into the field that you're in, and then you can even share a little bit about what's about to happen in your life. And we'll dive into the topic at hand. So give us a little bit about your background. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I went to undergraduate school at the university of Oregon and studied journalism and public relations, uh, with minors in economics and Spanish. Um, I was actually one class short of my minor in Spanish because I found one of the loves of my life, which is skydiving. And so the last class I needed to take in Spanish, uh, coincided with sort of the summer season of skydiving. So I just figured, well, I can either speak Spanish or I can't, and I'm just going to skydive. So uh, that was undergrad. And I loved journalism and public relations because it was a continual learning process and getting to interact with new information and new people um, regularly and new subject matters. Um, And then after undergrad, I decided to take a few years off to decide what I wanted to to do exactly with that. And I had wanted to combine that love of aviation um, that I had found in skydiving. And also I had gotten my private pilot's license in high school. So I wanted to combine that with my journalism um, and did some technical writing and then did some some PR and lived in DC for a little while. Um, and I was in DC for 9-11. I was there for uh, the anthrax poisonings and I was there for the sniper. And so after all of those things put together, I decided I had kind of enough of that um, and wanted to, to move on to the next stage. So at that point I was looking at teaching or law school. And I decided to go for, to go towards law school. Um, I thought maybe I could go from, from law into teaching eventually, but going from teaching to law would be much more difficult. So I started with law and I thought that was a really great point where I had made this choice and I was done making the big choices and I made, made the decision. But then once I got to law school, also discovered that within law, there is an infinite number of focus areas. So had to kind of get to work to looking at what of, of that area was going to fit me and my personality and whatnot. Um, and sort of came across the more transactional areas of estate planning and real estate and business, um, as opposed to litigation areas where you were fighting, you know, over money or, property or whatever the case may be. Um, so I found those transactional areas to, to just pique my interest more from a substantive standpoint and also just a personal interaction kind of standpoint where I wanted to feel like I was being a helper, um, like I was assisting folks in, in times that they, that they were maybe struggling or confused um, where I could could help them with organization and planning and, and moving forward. So it ended up being a really good, good fit for me. Um, and all those areas are pretty tax heavy. Um, so after law school, I went and got my master's in tax law, which was an additional year of law school. 
I went to law school at Gonzaga University in Spokane and then did the tax program uh, at University of Washington in Seattle. So um, yeah, so, and then from, from there, I really just kept focusing on estate planning and that really encompasses a variety of specific issues. So it's drafting wills and trusts and powers of attorney. Um, it's doing probate or probate related procedures to administer trusts or, or really deal with the folks issues and assets after they've passed um, and helping the families sort out you know, what's left behind and what they need to do next. Um, yeah, so now I have, I've worked for a couple of law firms in Wenatchee and then Bellingham. And then when we moved uh, back to Spokane again, about seven years ago, I decided to start my own practice. So I have my own practice, Megan Lewis Law and have been totally solo. I've had a paralegal and a, a receptionist, and I've had a couple different associates. I have one associate with me now who just started a couple of months ago, and she's doing great. Um, and I'm planning to take my part of the practice virtual because our next big step will be um, going to sail around the world, live on a sailboat, and we'll be taking our two kiddos and homeschooling them in the process. So I will ease back my practice, but still mentor and work with my associate and continue to work with current clients. But we will be going to move on a boat and probably a sailboat um, in the next six months or so is our goal. So we'll see kind of how that works out. But um, it'll be a pretty exciting adventure and it'll be fun to continue to help families along the way and to help people. Um, and I've got a few other creative ideas as far as how I might be able to, to work my knowledge and information into something that's useful for folks um, who are really approaching this from a new perspective or they're the ones left um, in charge of dealing with their loved ones assets and uh, needing to do the caretaking or needing to get things organized. So I'm looking at potentially starting um, a newsletter or a blog or something along those lines that really looks at that sort of family fiduciary role for people going forward. It's just a fascinating background. I mean, I feel like you take multi-passionate, <laughs> like we talk about, you know, oftentimes even as business owners, we talk about, well, we're multi-passionate, you know, so we don't want to just do this one thing. And it's like, I can't even keep track of all the things that you are skilled at and experienced in. And it's just so amazing. And I love it. I love it. You're just like, yeah, and I could have had a Spanish major, but I decided to skydive and, and I mean, just, and then I'm a pilot and just so cool. I just, I love it all um, because you bring into, into your relationships with your clients, such a like dynamic and robust and rich amount of experience that it's just really cool. So, um, we're going to dive. And I love that you're about to undertake this journey and that we were able to do this podcast before you do, because Wi-Fi may not allow for, um, a, a crisp audio anymore after this. So I'm really excited for what's about to transpire for you and your family. And I'm excited to, to 
listen and watch along, uh, however you end up, whatever platform you end up sharing that with the world. So thank you so much for that background. What I would love to do. So we're going to dive in and I, I really am tempted to dive into, to all of, all of the fun stuff too. Not that law is not fun, but for those of us who aren't in it, we don't necessarily, that doesn't usually top our list of fun things. Um, so, and oftentimes I find that this type of planning, and we'll go into kind of what a lot of the myths and misconceptions are, because I know I had a lot of them and maybe still have some that I don't even, I haven't identified as myths and misconceptions, but it's usually sort of a topic people want to put off or, or feel doesn't apply to them. And so I really wanted to get sort of just the elementary basics out so people can have a better understanding of what estate planning is and how it relates to their health. I think oftentimes we think, or at least I did as, you know, a sort of a young adult thinking, okay, well, estate plan, like a state is, you know, these millionaires and which of course millionaire now, you know, back then was a bigger deal than I guess it is now, but you know, I just thought of an estate as something just so beyond anything I would ever have. And so that didn't apply to me and, um, never really considered it with regard to health and how it related to my health or my family's health. And so I just never had a really solid understanding of course, you know, then once, once we had our first child, you know, our only child, but once we had our child, it was like, now we need, we need to adult a little bit more than what we were doing before. So I think it's a really important conversations to have. Um, let's start out with though. So people can start to connect with, cause they'll probably connect with a lot of the myths and misconceptions. Um, what are some things that you find people sort of lack understand, just basic understanding? Obviously we lack a lot of the deeper understanding that you have, but just the basic understanding of the importance of estate planning and you know, doing a will and a trust and, um, you know, power, the power of attorneys and all that. So what, what are some of those myths? Um, well, like you said, I think it is a lot of, you know, people thinking, well, I don't have a giant estate, so I don't need to do any planning. Um, and some of the things I think that they aren't realizing or, or thinking about is really that the process of estate planning is is a lot of what's important, no matter what documents actually come out of that process. But if you have a good estate planning attorney who really is curious about your life and your situation, um, going through that planning process is where you talk about, you know, who your family is and who you care about, um, who would care for you if something happened and what that might look like. Um, really just sort of taking a look at if, if you couldn't carry all the load that you're carrying today, if you couldn't manage all the things you're managing today, who would, would take your place and who would do it for you? And then what tools do, do they need in order to really have the legal um, and social sort of keys to be able to do that. So making sure that families understand who, who's going to fill those roles. So there isn't confusion. Um, when something happens, people are ready to jump in and put the plan into action. Um, and really have a, a steady approach to that, I think is a big thing. Um, and part of that is really taking a look at who's in your life and, and what, um, what roles they play 
And so in a health and, and wellness standpoint, you know, another misconception is that these things come into play only after you're gone and not that you need somebody to take care of you as well. So if you're incapacitated, if you go in for a surgery and something happens during that surgery where you don't come out as competent as you were, or the recovery is much longer than you expected, um, something along those lines, or just your eventual decline with uh, things like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or some other um, disease that, that affects your mental acuity in addition to just your physical abilities. Yes. And I think I probably had all of these myths and misconceptions and many people do as well. And a lot of it, I think is life can just get so overwhelming and there's so many moving parts to just everyday life that take, it feels big and overwhelming to many people to take this on. But so I think, um, I liked your description of how the the process of just talking this through with a professional like yourself is, um, is you highlighted the importance of that over and above, although the end documents are important too, but, but just the process of talking it through and, and you and your colleagues are well-versed in doing this. So we are, you know, in good, comfortable, relatable hands, but it does feel very big. And so I'm hoping that through this podcast, we will start to make it feel not less significant, but smaller and more understandable and more approachable. And so let's just dive into the very basics, which will feel very basic for you, um, but may not be for everybody else. So um, what is what is just, what is estate planning? We can just start there. What, what is estate planning? What does it entail? Um, and who, who should be thinking about it? Well, everyone should be thinking about it. Um, estate planning is important for single people, married people, younger people, older people. Um, it's important for children as well as adults to be considered. Um, and that doesn't necessarily like, you know, the children aren't going to sign their own documents, obviously, but any parents will need to consider, you know, what plans are going to be in place for their child, um, should something happen to them either on a temporary basis or long-term. And so estate planning really is the process of looking at all of these elements together. So a lot of times what people think of estate planning is either just a will or a trust and that that is the estate plan. Uh, But the estate planning is more encompassing in the sense it's looking at your financial assets. It's looking at real estate, life insurance, um, investments. It's looking at what's your income, what are your expenses going to be down the road Uh, when you retire or if you take a break or sabbatical or those kinds of things along the way, it's sort of looking at the whole process and, and saying, you know, what, what's my picture. So I work in conjunction with financial planners all the time. I don't do any of that financial planning as far as advising people to invest in this or that, or how much they need for anything in particular, but um, estate planning is just looking at that big picture 
sort of a holistic view of what's your financial picture look like, what's your social emotional picture look like, uh, what do your family relationships look like, and then really us as estate planning attorneys issue spot and let you guys sort of uh, on the medical side more of like giving a diagnosis in the sense that we look through and see um, a whole variety of things that might stick out to us that say okay well you you don't have a you don't have any documents so okay you're going to need a will you're going to need healthcare power of attorney financial power of attorney um you're going to need healthcare directives. You know, there's sort of this whole kind of laundry list in, in our minds of various appropriate documents. And there's never a one size fits all. There's never, you know, people say, well, I just need a basic, I need a basic will or I need a basic plan. Um, everybody has such a different life situation that it's, it's never basic in that sense because we always want to look at the practicality of of what issues are going on in each person's life. So the estate planning um, process, you know, people don't need, a lot of people, I think another misconception and also just thinking about what is estate planning is people will think that they have to have it figured out before they come and see us. And because they don't, then they're, it slows them down. They get nervous about coming in to, to do that first meeting, but really they don't have, have to have anything prepared. They just have to know that they want to move forward. And then the estate planning attorney would have a conversation with them and lead them through these various questions um, to try to pick out the things that are potential issues that we may do documents for, or may just discuss the plan and, and advise you on things you could do to reduce confusion, increase access to assets, um, you know, just have, have a plan in place to what you're going to do in case of any of those emergencies. I think there's, you know, so many really important points there. And I really like the last one, which is you don't have to have anything prepared. So I'm all about how do we minimize stress in our lives (laughs) just in general. But I think that any kind of legal planning just brings like just the state stating that (laughs) sentence just brings upon all kinds of anxiety for a lot of people. And just to know that, you know, somebody can walk right into your office and not have anything planned. Just know like, Hey, I listened to this podcast or I, you know, somebody told me I should probably get on this. Can you help me? I mean, obviously yep. with an appointment, but, um, so, <laughs> yes, those are always important. no walk-ins. No, it's not great clips. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, really important. And so what I would love, and I know that there's a lot of pieces to this and you mentioned, you know, the financial assets and, you know, if you have real estate and, and I think a lot of people have some kind of understanding that, yeah, I probably should plan for, my assets, but they don't necessarily always think of their health as an asset. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I think that there's a big gap there in understanding why it's so important, even if you feel like, okay, well, my financial assets are so minimal, there's no point, your health is still always going to be your largest asset and most important asset, um, you know, looking away just from the dollar signs, but just how impactful yeah. it can be in your life. And so can you talk a little bit about what types, what parts of this planning process specifically relate to our health? Um, and then we can kind of dive into some deeper questions on that. So when we're talking about, you know, just planning for who we want to, you know, name as a healthcare surrogate or, or, you know, what type of life-saving, you know, procedures do we want, um, you know, at least our decision right now. So what, what does that look like from just a health standpoint? 
Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to point out um, that estate planning documents and approaches are all state law based uh, for the most part. So each state has some different laws and rules and guidelines for how you manage these choices and do these documents and they each have their own statutes and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, my, I'm licensed in Washington state. Um, and so a lot of my, my discussion and my background is, is based on, you know, my knowledge, but I also know that each state is different. So if for your listeners, you know, they're, if I'm saying that something is a rule or whatnot, then, you know, they definitely need to not take it as legal advice and find someone licensed in their state to, to double check and to have appropriate documents. Um, that said, I get a lot of documents coming from other states as well. And each state will recognize the documents you've done in a different state. So um, it's not that they would be invalid when you move, because I know we've got a lot of highly mobile people and probably your listeners are travelers and move from place to place as you do. Claudia. <laughs> um, and so you want to keep in mind that, you know, each state will recognize the other state's documents. They just may not be the best or the most accurate or the most applicable um, for that state. But uh, going back to your question on, on the, the documents and the, the plans that are directly related to health, the, the kind of two main ones there is a healthcare power of attorney because most, most attorneys in most states um, have separate documents for a financial power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney these days. It used to be combined into one document, but um, ever since, especially uh, the Terry Schiavo case down in Florida, I believe it was, mm -hmm. and there was confusion about a difference between whether uh, Terry Schiavo wanted her husband to make healthcare choices or her parents to make healthcare choices in her documents. I think had both, or there was confusion about what she really intended between the two. Um, and that ended up in a big, big court case as to, you know, if they were going to remove support or do various treatments and whatnot. Um, so we do separate healthcare powers of attorney uh, from financial and a healthcare power of attorney is really naming the person or people that you want to make choices for you if you can't do it for yourself. So these only apply during your lifetime. It's obviously not something that applies after death. Um, and that is making them your surrogate or decision maker. They're supposed to follow, you know, what's best for you as well as what you would choose. And I think that's a varying uh, part of, of state law sometimes too, as to whether it's supposed to, your decision maker is supposed to decide what they think is best for you versus what they think you would want. Um, so I know I have seen some conflict there um, throughout the years. And so that is part of the conversation that you want to have when you name someone is you want to make sure they know what you would choose in some various situations. We can never know what's going to happen to us, obviously, but 
you can sort of play that would you rather game to some extent and say, you know, if uh, if you had extensive Alzheimer's, would you really want to receive feedings in addition to what you could feed yourself? If you weren't able to feed yourself, to what extent do you want someone to go to try to feed you? And that includes, you know, spoon feeding, hand feeding, tube feeding. You kind of want to talk about the whole range of, of those options. Um, and then, so that's the healthcare power of attorney. You name someone and you always want to have backups. So you always want to say, well, this person is my first choice. This person would be my second choice. And this person would be my third choice because you, again, never know if those people are going to actually be available or willing or able to um, fill those roles. So you definitely want to make sure you have backups. I've seen a lot where they just have one person named and then that person may be the same age and they can pass before you do or, you know, have issues before you even do. So you want to make sure you've got those backups. Um, then the other one is a, a healthcare directive. And that is really you making some specific choices about your care above and beyond what your healthcare power of attorney, your healthcare agent um, can make for you. So a healthcare directive should be given top priority. And so if you personally are filling out a directive that says, you don't want um, IV or feeding tube or antibiotics in certain situations, or um, you can do any number of different choices, but those are the usual basic primary options. If you fill that out of saying, these, this is how I want it to be handled, that should be given preference. And then any additional questions or choices or issues would be made by your agent or your surrogate, there's different terms in different states and scenarios, but the person you've named under your power of attorney. So um, there's a whole variety. There's different groups throughout the country that I think have sort of created uh, various versions of healthcare's directives to focus on different limitations or different issues. So I know there's a group that's sort of done one focused on Alzheimer's. And if you have early Alzheimer's, mid-stage or late Alzheimer's, um, saying what kinds of interventions or care you might want for that. Um, and that's one that you really wanna be careful to update and be aware that as your health changes, if you get a diagnosis, of a certain kind to really then think about the progression of that diagnosis and how that could change for you um, and make, make progressive changes to your documents to say, okay, now, now I know I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or I've been diagnosed with cancer. Or I've been diagnosed with whatever the case may be and see what the outlook is so that you can make a more defined choice as, as it goes along about what you want to have happen or not. Happen. Um, those are the two main health directed documents. Another one that comes into play that I don't think people think about or realize as much is a trust. 
And a trust is really meant for financial management, um, but it can be a great tool for healthcare and just uh, your living experience because whoever is managing your trust as the trustee after you can, you could put language in there about how you want the money spent for your care. So as you age, you may want to age in place. You may want to live in your home and have round the clock care and you want, may want to spend down whatever assets you have for that purpose. So you can put that kind of language in your trust and you can get creative versus some other people may prefer to be in a home or prefer to be, you know, in a senior living situation where they've got more friends around and more activities and, and more things going on. And so they may want to add that kind of a language into their trust to say, here's how I want you to to use my funds or set specific budgets or um, advise on different expenses. Another element of the trust that I think is somewhat novel uh, is that the transfer between you being your own trustee and managing your own assets over to your successor trustee of who's going to manage your assets for you after you always have a clause in there about what triggers that switch. And often it's just your incapacity. So it's saying, you know, when I've been deemed incapacitated, then I'm no longer in charge of my trust and this next person is. Um, we can also get somewhat creative with that, where we say, what, what do we want that to look like? Who will know me well enough to know that I'm incapacitated? Am I going to leave that up to my physician who I see once a year or once every couple of years? Or do I want that to be a committee of close family and friends? So something I draft into my trust documents is a capacity committee. And I walk through that with clients to say, you know, who, who's going to know if you aren't able to manage your day-to-day -day activities? And if you're not aware of your finances or you're not aware of what's going on to the extent that you should really be managing all of that on your own. And so a lot of times I'll do something like, you know, if there's adult children and a surviving spouse, you might say, uh, if you have, you know, two kids and a, and a, and a spouse you might say, okay, when, when two out of the three agree that you shouldn't be managing your finances, that's when you're removed as a trustee of your, of your assets or three out of five or unanimous or, you know, something along those lines so that, you can really designate what that looks like. And then if those people just vote on it and they say, okay, you're, you're not gonna be in control. I think they can have a lot more graceful and empathetic transition to that situation as opposed to saying, okay, we're going to drag you down to their doctor's office and they're gonna deem you incapacitated and you know it's just gonna be like big red stamp on your forehead or something. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really scary situation uh, for people to to think to think about. So that's that's um, where the trust can can really come in for those kinds of things. So that's kind of your main things, the healthcare power of attorney, a healthcare directive, and uh, living trust. That's really interesting. A lot of that last section I was not aware of, and I absolutely love the capacity committee. I think that's a fantastic, do, do a lot of attorneys do that? I don't feel like I've heard that before. 
There's not a lot. No, it's something that I, um, I, I'm not sure I can claim that I created it, and but I am the only one that I'm aware of who actually utilizes it. I love often. that. So I, I wanted to make sure I highlighted that in case anybody missed it, rewind and listen to that again and ask yeah. your lawyer, if you're in another state that Megan can't help you with. Um, <laughs> I love that idea. And I mean, it, Cause I, I think that does take out the stress over, you know, I don't want my physician to just put the scarlet letter on my, uh, you know, and, and I just, the, the reality is, is the people around you do know you better. They see you every day or, you know, at least a lot more frequently. So I think that's fantastic. So I love that you do that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, and I, I'm going to try not to make this forever because I, there are just so many details to all of this and nuances that I just want to make sure that everybody understands all of this and what has come up with, um, my clients a few times, especially when I have, um, a younger client. So, I mean, the reality is we can get sick at any age, so we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. And that could be when we're 20 or it could be when we're 80 or any time in between. And so when I've had younger clients, um, who have not gone through this process, which, I mean, I didn't do it when I was in my twenties either, but, um, you know, yeah. certainly could have, and probably should have, but a lot of people at that age aren't necessarily doing this out of the gate. And so they worry, if I bring this up and they're still, you know, cognitively clear enough to proceed with this, they are hesitant. I find a, f- a few of them have been hesitant because they feel like doing this at such a young age is actually going to take the power away from them. So can you talk a little bit about like, if you're, this doesn't kick in just because you happen to be in a hospital. I mean, you would have to actually be in need of, because you are not cognitively clear, um, that it doesn't now negate your say in your own care because you sign this, that it, there's, you know, and I, and I think you've touched on it, but I think there's still a misconception that somehow you're signing this away, your, your decisions away. Right. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a, a common misconception that in both the, the healthcare as well as the financial one, that when you sign a power of attorney, you're signing away power over you. And that's not at all in either case, what it is, if you have capacity and if you are actively speaking and communicating with your physician about something, then the physician from any situation that I've ever heard of, physicians will respond to and and go with what you have indicated. The only times that I think I'm aware of of that not happening is maybe late stage Alzheimer's uh, kinds of situations where a person is just clearly incoherent, you know, those types of situations, they, then they, they don't necessarily listen to what the client is or the patient is saying at that point. But um, yeah, a, 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 a power of attorney is not replacing your judgment um, when you have capacity at all. And that there's a whole different legal situation called guardianship um, that comes into play if you need to replace someone's personal decision-making ability and you need to actually limit their own ability. So as long as someone doesn't have guardianship over you and you just have a power of attorney, power of attorney allows them to come alongside of you and make decisions only if you can't um, are unable to communicate or are, are completely um, incapacitated. So they never take away your own rights. And that goes the same for finance, finances as well. 
which I think is, is somewhat confusing because people will come and say, well, I have a power of attorney over mom. So, you know, she can't, she can't pay her own expenses. And that's not, not the situation. A power of attorney in a financial sense gives a person joint access and joint decision-making in the sense that they're, they're sort of simultaneous. They don't have to agree together. One could access an account. Um, both people could access the account. So if mom and daughter have, um, if there's an account and, and mom has named daughter as power of attorney, daughter can write checks off that account and mom can still continue to write checks off that account as well. Unless daughter has guardianship over mom that says, no, you're not allowed to do your own finances. And that has to go through a court. So when you're doing a power of attorney, whether it's financial or healthcare, you are, you are only naming someone to come alongside of you and to assist you in doing things when you can't. Really important distinction. Um, and I think, I, I think it's really important that we covered that because people often think that it negates your rights now. And, and so I, I want to make, cause I, and, the, and I, you know, it's unfortunate because that creates a hesitation to proceed with this. And that leads me to my next question, which is, let's say we do have this hesitation. We don't proceed. And we are in a situation where we didn't do this. So what does it look like if I didn't do this planning and, and something happens, say, um, you know, some traumatic event, I'm young, I'm otherwise healthy, but I get into a car accident and now I can't speak for myself. Maybe I'm intubated. Um, what, and I know this is different from state to state, but, uh, maybe, you know, just kind of a general overview, maybe in your state of, you know, who, who ends up being the person who makes the decisions and, and how does that decision, how is that made on the medical team's end? Yeah, well, I think you'll be able to, to speak more for the medical team's end of it than I can. But um, on the, the default rules, so if you don't do your own planning, the state will do it for you. They already have. What that means is if you haven't decided what you want in your documents and who you want to do what, the each state has laws, has statutes that say here are kind of the defaults of, of what happens with your decision-making on a financial or a medical direction. For medical and healthcare choices, it really typically looks like a next of kin kind of thing. So, you know, if you're married, if you have parents, if you have siblings, it kind of follows a waterfall flow of, of who might be an appropriate individual to do it. Some of them say kind of any of those people, some of them might say it follows a specific order. If, if this one doesn't exist, then it goes to the next. And if that doesn't exist, then to the next. Um, the problems that you see there are, you know, if, if you're younger and maybe you're not married or, um, but you have parents, but your parents are divorced and you have a clear preference between which parent you might want to make a medical choice for you, but they're both considered next of kin, then you've got a situation where they're pitted against each other potentially. And if they already can't get along in, in married life and, and they've divorced, now you're, you're hoping that they can get along to make choices about your, your survival, your healthcare, your, your, um, your future in, in that kind of way. So that would be the default. Yeah. If you don't do anything, the, the state has sort of decided that for you. Yes. 
Um, definitely similar in Florida with regard to sort of that waterfall of, you know, next to kin and then down the line. And, and I think it's really important what you pointed out, which is there's no way for the medical team to know that, you know, you prefer, you know, mom's opinions over dad's, or, you know, maybe all you, all you have left living is, you know, your brother, but you've been estranged from your brother for 20 years, but now your brother shows up. I mean, the medical team doesn't know that history and they can't assume anything. And if you're intubated and can't speak for yourself, some of this, you know, planning would, would clarify that and would give better direction to the team. So, um, right. I see that a lot too, in cases where, you know, you have a partner and that you've been with this partner for many years. And like you said, maybe it's deranged from your family or you you have a relationship with your family, but you, you really want your partner to, to be involved. And if you haven't followed the legal process of being married or, um, you know, and each state has, has different rules there with, um, if it's a same sex relationship or if it's, you know, if they have, um, you know, people will, will consider that if you've been together long enough that you're married in the eyes of the law, but that's not necessarily a thing, um, just depending on which state you're in. And so that's, that's one of the other big ones for the, for younger people where, you know, a lot of us aren't getting married that fast these days. And you may be with a partner for quite a number of years before you want to make that legal commitment or you never do want to. And you're like, I don't see a point in it. I'm not not going to do it. Um, That may really affect things when it comes time uh, for these healthcare and financial choices, because they won't be your default. Mm, Yes. Really great additional examples there. And I think thinking through all of these things just sort of highlights the importance of doing this, even if all of the things, even if you feel like you're too young to have to do it, or you don't have enough um, financial assets, even though you've already mentioned that it's important for everybody, regardless of that. But I think we have a lot of assumptions in our head. Well, you know, I'm not Bill Gates and I'm not, you know, I, I just don't have these, you know, exorbitant amount of assets, but ultimately, regardless, even if you had nothing else, you still have your health and your health is still invaluable. So it's still super important. I so appreciate all this. I really could talk to you for a really long time about this because I think it's just so important. And I think we've hit some of, I mean, you you know, you've already hit the important things that people need to think about with regard to their health and even touched on some of the financial pieces. So I think we've, we've definitely wrapped this up in a um, hopefully consumable and accessible way for people to at least start understanding it better and hopefully opening the door to having a conversation and at least making that appointment with a lawyer in the area. And if it's at Washington, then Megan's your girl. <laughs> That's who you yeah, should call. And we can do things virtually. You know, we do lots of zoom and phone and email kinds of communications. Um, and then for people signing documents, you know, you, you can't do all virtual signings at this point for wills and whatnot. That's still kind of in progress. Um, the state is, is, working on some things. Um, but people are still figuring out kind of how to actually implement that. But, um, a lot of times what we do is we'll do documents and send the documents to you virtually, and then give you specific directions on here's, here's how you need to execute them. Um, you know, get a notary on this, get two witnesses on that and and step-by-step. So that's always an option as well. 
Perfect. And before we go, uh, I will include the link of course, in the show notes and details, but where can people find, and I know you have information on your website as well, just for, you know, informational purposes, but where can people find you? What is your website and uh, where are you going to share? Do you have any idea where you're going to share all of your adventures? (laughs) Yeah. um, So my practice name is Megan Lewis law. And so you can search that, but it's uh, meganlewislaw.com and M E G A N L E W I S uh, com. And then I also have a Facebook page for Megan Lewis law as well. So I'll periodically put up news articles that seem appropriate and, and comment on them on the Facebook page for Megan Lewis law. Um, so that's a good thing to, to, to follow if you want to sort of get pinged once in a while. I don't, I don't put things on there too often because I don't like to overload people with, with that stuff in their, um, in their newsfeed, but I try to, to put that on there sometimes too. And, um, then I'm also on Instagram as Megan Lewis law. Um, and that one is really ends up being more travel photos and adventures and family things. Um, but I do once in a while put up sort of a, an estate planning tidbit, um, every now and then. All right. Well, we will look forward to your adventures and keeping updated with it. And I'm probably just going to have to have you on again, whenever you get Wi-Fi again in the middle of all of your traveling, just for that update. And, and it'll just be for fun. It'll be, you know, less, less businessy and more, (laughs) more fun. I so appreciate your time today, Megan. I know that our, all of our time is so limited. And so I value the amount of time you spent with us today and the amazing uh, insights you gave all of us. And so I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us and helping us understand this part of our adulting process and ultimately our planning process at a level that isn't as scary. I really feel like we broke this down into a way that is accessible to anybody and I sincerely appreciate that because there's enough complication in the healthcare system. Simplicity is much appreciated and needed. If you all enjoyed this episode or any previous episode, as always, I'm so grateful for reviews on iTunes and I would love to hear any of your feedback or insights on future podcast episodes. You can go to speakpipe.com slash minding wellness until next time.